You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 111. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. As kids get older, I really try to educate the kids themselves in the office. Like I, I talk to them directly. And I talk about how they, you know, it's their responsibility to take care of their body. And I put, I put it on them. And so it's never, it, it changes the dynamic of like, my, the parents keep telling kids like, you've got to eat this to like, maybe you should make this choice for yourself to eat this. It's your choice. You make the decision yourself. Welcome back veggie lovers and welcome to the first episode in my pediatric series. For August of 2020. I'm so excited about this. So excited about all of the awesome guests I'm going to have on the show and all the things we're going to talk about. We're going to kick the series off with Dr. Cherie Chu, who is a pediatrician and lifestyle medicine physician. So she's going to talk about what lifestyle medicine is, different components. We're going to touch upon nutrition, sleep, screen time. She has lots of great tips and a really touching story as well. So I can't wait for you to hear more from her. If you're not already subscribed to my podcast, please subscribe. Please share these episodes if you know of friends, family, other people that will benefit from hearing this information. I want this to get out to everybody who needs to hear it, who wants to hear it, who will benefit from this. So please help me with that. In addition, don't forget about all of my fun freebies that you can access at dryami.com forward slash free. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash free. Have dairy replacement guide, meat replacement guide, eating out guide, zero waste swaps for those that want to decrease their impact on the environment, a shopping list, a fully plant-based shopping list that I created with Rohini Bajakal, so good, and lots more. So definitely check that out, dryami.com forward slash free, and you can get one or all. If you just want an easier way to sign up to my mailing list and get notifications about my podcast episodes every week and other fun things, then you can text the word fiber, F-I-B-E-R to 66866. So definitely take advantage of that. And as always, I'd like to remind you about my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. Thank you so much for all of you that have read it and left me a review on Amazon. If you have read it and haven't left me a review, I would appreciate it so much. I love to read those. I love to have those. And it helps other people decide if they're going to purchase the book. So thank you so much. I want to read to you a five-star review from Amelia Medeiros from Amazon entitled Life-Changing Book Right Here. What a wonderful read. So much food information in this book, and it was written in an easy to read manner. I've been struggling with eating with my kids, and I definitely gained some insight on not only them, but myself as well. I can't wait to take the tools I learned in this book and start implementing them into our daily lives. If you struggle with mealtimes for any reason, definitely buy this book. And then she put a smiley face emoji. Amelia, thank you so much. What a great review. And and thank you for reading it. And I'm so happy that it's made an impact on your life and that of your children. That's the point. I really want this to help as many people as possible. 
Before I tell you about Dr. Chu, let me remind you that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by your health professional. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a doctor. So let me tell you about Dr. Cherie Chu. She is a board-certified pediatrician, and she's also certified in lifestyle medicine. She is passionate about helping children form healthy lifestyle habits. She believes teaching children to have a mindset that optimizes nutrition, sleep, physical activity, stress management, social connection, and avoidance of risky substances can lead to immeasurable benefits lasting into adulthood. She is a native Californian, receiving her Bachelor's of Science degree in Biochemistry and Cell Biology at University of California, San Diego, and her medical degree at University of California, Irvine. She did her pediatric residency at UCSF Benoit Children's Hospital, Oakland, and she is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics and a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. She currently practices outpatient pediatrics in a large multi-specialty medical group located in San Diego. She incorporates her knowledge of lifestyle medicine into her daily interactions with her pediatric patients and their families. She is also the founder of wellnesspediatrician.com, a website focused on empowering parents and pediatricians with education and resources to promote healthy habits in children through lifestyle medicine. You're going to love Dr. Chu. She is so sweet, so loving, so compassionate, and she has great things to tell you. So without further ado, let's kick off this summer pediatric series with Dr. Cherie Chu. Dr. Cherie Chu, thank you so much for joining me on Veggie Doctor Radio. Hi, Dr. Yami. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I am so glad to have met you, a pediatrician that also values and practices lifestyle medicine. I think that this is going to be the wave of the future. And I am so glad that there's more and more physicians that are starting to become interested in it. But I actually haven't talked that much about lifestyle medicine on my podcast yet. Believe it or not, there's just so much to talk about. So can you define for my listeners What is lifestyle medicine? So lifestyle medicine is an evidence-based approach to preventing, treating, and sometimes even reversing chronic diseases that are lifestyle medicine related. So there are six pillars that really define lifestyle medicine. um, And these are the areas of lifestyle that we really focus on to try to optimize. And those areas are specifically nutrition and um, a whole food plant-based diet is what we recommend in lifestyle medicine. Um, Also sleep stress management, physical activity, um, having social connectiveness, and then also avoiding risky substances such as smoking. Awesome. And we use lifestyle medicine in order to prevent disease, but you can also use lifestyle medicine to treat disease and conditions. But fortunately in pediatrics, I think we spend the majority of the time preventing. Although sometimes, especially when it comes to risky substances. We know that sometimes our teens are already starting to get into it or even preteens starting to get into some of those things. So it is very, very valuable for all physicians to have some knowledge of lifestyle medicine, but you are board certified in lifestyle medicine. So tell me about your lifestyle medicine journey. How did you become interested in it? And when did you actually start applying these principles to your practice? So I started my journey probably um, around the time that my kids were born. So I um, had twins and it was really soon after I lost my mom, like less than a year after I lost her um, to breast cancer. And so when they were little, I didn't have a ton of help. My um, sister came down, but she she isn't local and she helped me in the beginning. But my husband had to go back to work pretty soon after they were born. And so there were a lot of times that it was really just me alone with them. And it was was hard. It was really, really hard. And so when I went back to work, you know, I went back full time and I was just really trying to juggle like the responsibility of being a mom and working. And 
it was not easy. And so I, I think around that time, I started feeling some feelings of like burnout. I mean, we hear a lot about that in like the physician mm-hmm. world. And um, <clears throat> so I think that's when I started looking. And then around that time is when my kids started eating solids. And I didn't know how to cook. Like before I had kids, it was like I was a frozen food person. Like that, I like I was the queen of making bottomless pot stickers. <laughs> that was like what we what we did a lot before my kids were born. So you know, I I um, heard about the Healthy Kitchens, Healthy Lives conference, and it's up in Napa, and um, it's actually held at the Culinary Institute of America. And so in that conference, I learned a lot about the whole food as medicine movement and nutrition. And we actually even got in the kitchen and took cooking classes. Like it was a really great conference. And I think that's kind of where I started having my interest in cooking. because I just wanted something better for my kids. I wanted them to be able to eat healthful foods and um, just, you know, kind of really grow up with that. And so I think it wasn't until maybe two years ago, I heard about lifestyle medicine and it really just clicked for me. Like I really felt like, okay, this is what I want to do because this is the same stuff I've been recommending all these years to my patients, but it's, it was done in a really um, put together evidence-based way. And it just, as soon as I heard about it, I'm like, this is what I want to do. And, you know, around that time, again, I was still having, you, I was getting healthier by then, but I was still having some of those burnout feelings and I was just tired all the time. And a big part of lifestyle medicine is um, like, as a physician, you need to practice what you preach. Like mm-hmm. that's one of the things that they teach you in lifestyle medicine. So I really started prioritizing my sleep. I started meditating. I started, um, you know, eating even better. And I found that in my like journey of trying to like find something else, just because I was so burnt out, it actually revitalized my like love for what I do. Like I love my job and I love my patients and I love my medical group, but it was, I was still really feeling tired. And I think once I really optimized my own life, I was able to really appreciate more like what I already had and put myself more into it. And so I just feel like I'm in such a better place personally. And so I just want to spread that to my patients. And so I really started applying it to my practice. just really my day-to-day interactions with my patients, um, probably the last year to two years. Um, And I did my certification for lifestyle medicine, um, I think the same time that you did last year. And so, yeah, ever since then, I've been really applying it to work. Wow. What a journey. So how long were you practicing pediatrics before your twins were born? Six years. Whoa. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and I think also it's very easy in medicine to overwork because there's always going to be more patients, you know? So probably by that time you were used to just working all the time. And now you have twins taking care of them by yourself. Oh my gosh. So much to do. And so many things to think about. Um, what a journey. How about with your mom with losing your mom to breast cancer? Do you have any thoughts about that? Has that been an inspiration to you as far as your health and your children's health? Yes, absolutely. Like I, um, again, with lifestyle medicine, one of the things that we learn in there is that, you know, your genetics might be like a loaded gun, right? But your lifestyle is the trigger. And that really resonated with me because I had always assumed that was my destiny, like Mm. maybe rightly or wrongly. Like I'd always, she was pretty young when she got diagnosed and I had lost several members in my family to cancer. So I kind of always thought Mm. I'm just genetically loaded for this. And then when I heard about lifestyle medicine, like, you know, I can do something about this. Like I can actually change my lifestyle and potentially really reduce my chances of having that same outcome. So yeah, that, that was huge for me in getting involved in this. And I just think you were a physician and you're still having those thoughts. It's very totally. common to have those thoughts, whether your family history is diabetes or high blood pressure, cancer. A lot of people do assume, well, everybody in my family has it. It's just a matter of time before I have it. So I might as well just enjoy my life and live it up. Right. I feel like that's right. kind of the way that humans right. think. I just got to live it up because you don't know when it's going to happen. So that's, that's super fascinating. And how old are your twins now? They're eight now. Oh, how fun. Okay. So that's great. (laughs) I feel like our children really do inspire us. And that's part of my story too. And how my children inspired me to make a change so that 
hopefully they can have an even better life than I did a healthier life. So when it comes to our patients, is it ever too early to start healthy habits? No, I think that you can really start even like before your children are born, you know, they, they taste the food that you eat when you're pregnant. And so I think if you really eat those variety of food and different flavors while you're pregnant, they start to build their palate at that time. And then even before they eat, um, you know, they watch you eat. So eating together as a family and creating that as like one of the things that you do, even when your baby is little, they're watching you eat, they're seeing the food, they're seeing you converse, like there is really some value in that. And then also, you know, um, kids really model after their parents. And so if they see you as parents eating healthful foods, like they will model after that, even when they, just when they start to eat. Mm-hmm. Role modeling is so important. Studies confirm that, that our children really do pay attention to what we do, how we mm-hmm. act, what we say, the words we use. So, you know, it's, it might be a little bit stressful for parents to know that, but at the same time, I want it to be empowering that if we ourselves adopt some of those habits, then we don't really have to force anything. It just becomes part of our child's environment. Well, on those same lines, I've had moms come to me really stressed out and anxious because they didn't get started on the right foot. And maybe they were more similar to how you were before, you know, making a lot of processed foods and uh, too busy of a lifestyle. And now their kids are more grown and they're Mm -hmm. worried. Dr. Yami, is it too late? What do you tell your families when they come to you in desperation and they're like, oh, I screwed up. Is it too late for me to to make a change? No, no, no. It's never too late. You know, I think as kids get older, I really try to educate the kids themselves in the office. I, I talk to them directly and I talk about how they, you know, it's their responsibility to take care of their body. And I put, I put it on them. And so it's never, it, it changes the dynamic of like my, the parents keep telling kids like, you've got to eat this to like, maybe you should make this choice for yourself to eat this. Mm-hmm. It's your choice. You make the decision yourself. And so I kind of, I reframe it that way. And then also, you know, I think it doesn't have to be like this turn the switch hundred percent 180 mm-hmm. change. It can be baby steps. And that's what I'm doing in my own family. We're just doing baby steps. Yes, I love that. And usually that's more effective in the long run, right? When we try to change too much, too fast, then it can lead to this rebound effect. We're like, I can't do anything at all. So I'm just not going to do anything. When it comes to introducing complementary foods for babies, I think there's a lot of confusion out there, a lot of different opinions and different advice. So I'd love to know how you counsel your parents about introducing complementary foods to their babies. So I bring up the conversation around the time that my kids come in at their four to their four months visit. Um, and you know, I tell them that you have the ability to start solids anytime between four to six months. And, you know, some parents choose to do it at four, some parents choose to do it at six, and it's fine, whatever you choose. Um, but I, you know, I, I bring up the idea at that point about lifestyle medicine. I tell them about, you know, eating a whole food plant-based diet, and that's the direction that over the years, I'm going to be pointing you in that direction. So it only makes sense to try to introduce the foods that you would see in a whole food plant-based diet now, because right now your baby's palate is like a blank slate. Mm-hmm. Like you are designing what your baby's preferences for food are going to be. And so with that in mind, you know, what I often recommend is start off with green vegetables. Um, and I'll have them go into like the yellow orange veggies next. I'll have them do the fruit class. And, um, you know, there's definitely some flexibility with that. There's some babies who are really open to eating those green veggies first and some who are not. And so it's totally fine to mix things up. You know, you can switch it up. But that's usually the framework I start people off on. Um, and I, I tell them to eat, to also introduce some type of whole grain baby cereal, like baby oatmeal, for example. Um, and then the other piece that I do that may be a little bit different than what I used to do when I first started my practice is I tell them to actually season the food. So not so much like salt and sugar, but with um, how you would normally cook, like onion, garlic, herbs, spices, like those are all flavors that we use when we cook. And it's important to get kids to be familiar with those flavors, you know, so that you're not going from like bland, 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 bland. And then it's something at one, you're like, okay, eat real food. And they're like, ah, this is like too strong. I can't eat this. And then you go down like the chicken nugget road. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that that's a big part of it too, is introducing flavors because, and then the other piece of it is just the whole leap study and how we know that um, introducing peanut allergen 
early actually reduces their chance of having food allergy, which is why I um, have been encouraging families to consider starting between four to six months. And before I used to say start at six months, um, just to get that peanut in, because you don't want peanuts to be the very first thing that you try. But at the same time, you know, the evidence shows that there is a, there is a benefit to getting that peanut allergen in. And ideally between four to six months is the time that you'd want to get that allergen in. Fabulous. Yes. Sounds like we're very similar in our advice. And I agree with, you know, it's funny because you know how things change, right? Like at the beginning of my career, I'm just like, okay, rice cereal, do that for like four weeks. You know, it's just like very, like (laughs) so different now and, you know, nothing, but I also agree with the herbs and spices because those also have so many antioxidants. And so getting kids used to that is is beneficial they you get their palate kind of used to the flavors that you use in your household but it also just makes sense globally right because in the united states i think we've almost had this like feeling that kids can only eat bland foods but that's not true in other parts of the world you know like yes, in india yes. and in mexico and all these places they're using all of their herbs and spices and the kids that's what they get used to and that's what they eat and so I think just telling parents and empowering them to know that your child will start to prefer the foods that they're exposed to. So the only way that they can learn to like a food is through consistent, repetitive exposure, including those herbs and spices. And I also agree with you that the salt and the sugar, we could probably leave out just because those can have some other effects and aren't necessarily health benefiting, but the herbs and spices definitely are. What mistakes do you see parents make when they're introducing solid foods to their children? So I think one of the things is introducing processed snacks early on. You know, it starts with the puffs. And the puffs aren't in and of themselves evil. I mean, they are really great fine motor skill trainers. Like there's not many foods that you can pick up with a pincer grass or not many things that you can pick up with a pincer grass that you will let your baby hold and put in their mouth. So I think of them more as like fine motor skill training than actual food because, you know, I, what um, I often see is, you know, people will use snacks as pacifiers mm. and, you know, um, and not just any snack, but usually processed food snacks, like the like little puffs, for example. And I think back to when my kids were um, little and we'd go to the zoo and they would get fussy. Like, and what is your like response as a parent? Like, what is like your automatic response for most parents, my, myself included? It's like pull out the puffs or pull out some snack or pull out the goldfish or pull out the Cheerios. And then you give it to your child and they eat it and they stop fussing. But then like, what if they weren't hungry? Like, what if they actually were just bored or they were hot or they wanted to be out of the stroller and they temporarily got distracted with that snack? Well, then you make that connection between like boredom and snacking and not just snacking, but snacking on processed food. And I think that that relationship to snacking kind of carries on throughout life. And so, you know, especially during this COVID time, like I'm seeing so many people just snacking and overly snacking and snacking because the food is there. And, you know, it's, it's not the best relationship to, to food, I think. Yes. Emotional eating. Emotional yes. eating is learned. It is taught. So studies do show that when families have some of those habits, which I'm not trying to demonize them because we all learn them, right? Like our parents gave us stuff when when we were complaining about things too. You know, uh, this is like the worst thing, but I love you, mom. I'm sorry. I always bring up my mom in this podcast. I love her so much. Just want all my listeners to know, but I remember getting my cavities filled and then my mom afterwards be like, don't worry, we'll go, go we'll go get ice cream. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, you know, but it's, it's normal, right? You, we hear our families after the kids get shots, sometimes they're like, oh, we're going to go get McDonald's. We're going to go get ice cream. And I'm just like, right. you know, yeah. but that is one of those habits that starts early. And the problem is whenever that habit gets ingrained, you can develop a deep groove in there. And there are some adults that really, really struggle with that emotional eating. It is such a a reflex, like a knee jerk reflex. I feel bad. I get food. I feel bad. I get food. And then they no longer have that connection with their true hunger and satiety. And so a lot of people struggle with that. So parents not trying to make you feel bad, 
but maybe just think a little bit before offering food. Is it your snack time, meal time? Is your child saying that they're hungry or are you just giving them food to appease them? And I agree. I feel like everything is coming in puff. It's either puffs or gummies now. Everything is either in puff form or gummy form. <laughs> for kids. So it's like uh, they're they're very readily available. So I think what Dr. Chu is saying is that it's okay to use some of those foods, help your child develop their fine motor skills, but don't make processed foods the foundation of their diet and try not to make it a habitual thing that you're always using them. So I think that's really great advice. Tell me about raising plant-based children. How do you feel about that? So it's interesting, you know, before I had this additional nutrition training, if a patient came into my office and they said, we're vegan, we're going to raise our kids vegan. I'd be like, Oh my gosh. Like I would worry because I would worry they wouldn't be getting enough nutrition like would they get enough protein would they they're not gonna drink milk oh no what are they we're gonna do for enough calcium and vitamin d and iron and you know and i think that um and i think probably a lot of pediatricians still feel that way to be honest mm -hmm. um so you know once i got some additional nutrition training um i really opened my, my eyes that you can get all of those things through a plant-based diet and you know you don't have to be limited i think the one area where um, be a little bit careful is just giving the variety though, mm -hmm. um, because you could go plant-based and just eat bread and that's it. <laughs> and that's still officially plant-based, but you still need to have that variety of food and you need to have like your beans and your fruits and vegetables and, and your whole grains. Um, but you can certainly get a complete diet with that. Um, I still recommend for my patients who are vegan to supplement with B12 mm -hmm. and, um, and potentially also vitamin D, depending on what sources that they are getting in their diet for vitamin D. Very good. Yeah. So we align there as well. I, I pretty much supplement all of my patients now with B12 and vitamin D. And the reason is, is because I feel like even for my families that aren't purposely plant-based children, a lot of children don't eat a lot of meat, um, which makes me kind of happy, but it, they just don't gravitate towards that. A lot of kids love their fruits. They love their whole grains. A lot of my patients will eat their beans, not all of them, um, working on that one. But then the other thing is what we're learning about B12 and even factory farmed animals have to be supplemented, um, that maybe sometimes we're not getting as much B12, even from meat as we think we are. So I supplement them and then vitamin D too, because I live Northern, you know, so up here in Washington, half of the year, you're definitely not going to get enough sun. The other part of the year, people are inside, they're wearing long sleeves, they're wearing sunblock. So we have a higher risk of vitamin D deficiency around here. What part of California are you in? Oh, we're in San Diego. We got plenty of sun down here. <laughs> you're, you're in, yeah, you're in like tropical climates, so you're pretty good. But even then, I think people, we do spend a lot of time indoors. So we're seeing mm -hmm. vitamin D deficiency. My mother went to Panama. She was there for six months, came back darker than me, and she had gotten tested as soon as she got back from Panama, and she was vitamin D deficient. She's an older woman, so there's some you know questions there about vitamin D metabolism and those kinds of things. But it is very interesting. All right, well, let's switch gears. Let's talk about sleep since that's a very important component of lifestyle medicine. How important is having a regular sleep sleep schedule for children? You know, it's so important. You know, I, with kids, they often will wake up the same time, no matter what time they go to bed, they will often wake up the same time. Their little body clock should do that. So if they go to bed late, you're pretty much going to guarantee that they're going to have inadequate sleep that night. And there's just like so much evidence about adequate sleep in kids with helping their attention, their learning, their behavior, and their ability to have like a good emotional regulation. Like it's just so important for them to get their sleep. Um, but the other thing is by having a bedtime, it teaches kids early on that sleep is a priority. And that it, you know, and I think a lot of us, me included, before I did all this, my sleep wasn't my priority. Like I would stay up late, you know, watching Netflix or being on the line or whatever, you know, because that was kind of like my brain rest time. And I wasn't making sleep a priority. And that was one of the things that I wish I had done differently, you know, over my life. But, you know, I do it differently now. 
but I think that having the kids have a good bedtime or have a regular bedtime, it just really helps them to to know that you know we really value sleep and that's something that you need to prioritize in your life. Yeah, and that circadian rhythm, I mean, it's just so fascinating to learn about their circadian rhythm and how it's established and how easily it can get off track. So I've always been, but I'll just say I'm a selfish mom. I want to make sure that my kids are getting enough rest because especially the young ones, like the toddlers, if they're not getting enough rest, you're going to pay for it with their behavior the next day. So so I was always like, we're getting that kid to bed because I need to have a good day tomorrow. (laughs) You know, Um, but you see it. And what I'm sure we feel the same way. We don't act like toddlers, but toddlers have the freedom to act like toddlers, right? So you know that they haven't gotten enough sleep because they're having more tantrums. Mm-hmm. They're just randomly crying. Everything hurts their feelings. Right. And that's how we're feeling inside when we haven't had enough sleep, but we're keeping it in, of course, maybe. Some of us, maybe not. And that's my husband. <laughs> I disagree. Uh, I may act more like a toddler sometimes. But yeah, it's it's so, so important. So tell me about how you help your families with uh, with sleep and implementing sleep schedules. I think that they struggle a lot in that late infancy time when they're really ready for their baby to sleep longer. And then that transition from the crib to the toddler bed and getting their child to stay in bed. Do you have any tips for parents when it comes to those things? Um, you know, I think that I, I kind of take it on a person by person basis. I try to really hear out like what I, I go through with my patients, like what is your sleep schedule? And I write down like what time they get into bed and what time they have dinner and just to get an idea of like what their scheduling is, um, I really ask parents to like read your child and look to see when they actually feel tired. Because, you know, a lot of kids will go through a period where they are around that time, especially, I think that between like five and seven, they'll start to be a little bit more tired. Like their eyes will be a little more droopy or they'll be a little more quiet or maybe more fussy. And then they'll go through this like hyper stage after that really happy, really energetic. And then they have this crash stage after that. And that's when it falls around like nine-ish. And so I think a lot of parents are putting their kids in that second phase of tired, the overtired, tired time. And so I just educate my families about that and to see if we can maybe push them to an earlier bedtime. Um, but as far as like what to do about your kid getting out of bed and, you know, when they transition from the crib to the toddler bed, um, you know, I, I will often advise them to, keep bringing right back, back back in and giving them a hug and kiss good night close the door leave and just it takes a lot of tenacity to do it but eventually you'll 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 um do it enough times that they'll stay in there and they'll get tired enough to stay in their bed yes and it's just so valuable in for everybody in the house to get good sleep so we want our kids to sleep because it's good for their bodies it's good for their brains our metabolism sleep impacts so many things but as parents, we also want to make sure that we're getting sufficient sleep. So it is worth it, I think, to put in that effort to help your child sleep better in those transitions. Because my kids are 10 and 15. And I tell families all the time, if you don't put in the effort to improve those sleep habits early, it's it's not going to magically fix itself. <laughs> so it's one of those yes. things that you have to, you really have to make a priority in your life. So thank you for that. Well, let's talk about screen time because I think that that is a hot topic right now, especially with the COVID, more time at home, and just the technology that we have available. So what is your approach to screen time in children? So yeah, um, so I started bringing up this conversation when my kids, my patients come in at six months of age. And I started off by having a conversation about like, how do you maintain your baby's mindfulness? And so I'll, I'll explain, I'll have them look at their child. I'm like, you know, look at your child right now. He or she is, you know, watching me talk, watching my mouth, my mouth move, playing with the zipper on the bag over there. And they are completely engaged in what they're doing and very focused and entertained by this very, well, I would consider a low stimulation activity. And, and I, you know, I say sometime between now and maybe like two or three, a lot of kids lose that. And how often do you go to a restaurant and, you know, the whole family is looking at their phone or an iPad and every, every kid at the table has their own iPad watching a show while everyone's eating, no one's talking. 
And it's just a really sad sight for me to see. And so I think that, you know, um, if we don't safeguard against that happening, it's really easy to go down that road because honestly, giving your child the phone or putting them in front of the TV or having them in front of the iPad, like that is a lot easier mm-hmm. than withholding it from them because it works is the thing. Like they, it's entertaining and it grabs their attention and it gives you a moment to breathe. So I understand the reasoning why people do it. But the thing is, is that they're, are potentially some consequences to that because you know if your child gets used to that high level stimulation and anything screen is a lot of movement a lot of activity it's very like highly stimulating and so if a kid gets used to like that level of stimulation then if you give that same child like a what we consider like more low stimulation toy like blocks or a book like they'll look at it but it becomes less interesting and they want that higher stimulation because like you've, they've kind of lost that ability to really hone in on something that is quote unquote more boring. So, you know, I, I encourage my families to really try to prolong that period of time where their kids are engaged with things that are like of lower stimulation. And so, you know, the AAP recommends waiting on screen time until the kids are two years old or, or older. And so I, I really try to encourage that as well. Um, and I would say like for myself, at least we did that because I, I try to practice what I preach. And people are like, oh, there's no way you're not going to be able to do TV. Your kids, you've got twins. And, you know, um, I'm like, no, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to really try to do this. And so, you know, we did. We didn't have the kids do any TV until two. Um, but then when we got to two, we're like, well, why start now? Like, there's, they're already used to not watching TV. So, you know, so we actually never ended up turning it on routinely. And now my kids are eight, and it's not something that they are begging for or asking for because it never was a normal thing in our house to have it on. I and mean, we, we certainly will watch things now together as a family, um, but we've certainly never really used it as a babysitter. And I think that that was really helpful for them to develop their ability to like have an imagination and be able to play on their own um, and to entertain themselves. And so I think that that's a really important skill to have that we lose sometimes when we introduce um, screen time too early. Oh, I love that. And I love how you approach it from a place of mindfulness, because if we're really honest, us as adults, we've lost a lot of that too, right? I mean, I know that whenever I'm tired at the end of the day and my brain is mush, I'm just like on Instagram scrolling because I'm looking for passive novelty. So I don't have to do anything. I just have to let the screen entertain me. I'm looking for that passive novelty, but children, they're naturally so curious and so creative. They want to create in their world. They want to see how things work. But if early on they're exposed to this passive novelty, like you're saying the overstimulation yesterday, I had one mom turn on the phone while we're just trying to weigh this little toddler And I just forgot because my kids are older. I forgot how kids programming, like really little kids programming. It's so loud. There's like a billion noises. It's way too many colors. It's like, it's like in your face (laughs) and then kids love it. Right. They just get like, whoa, this is amazing. So just imagine what's that, what that's doing to their little brains, but it, it can be very difficult. I think to take the approach you did when my oldest, he's now 15 and a half. I did that, like no screen time until two. And I felt like every time we went somewhere, like my family, I was like, turn off the TV. I was like, so like stressed out about it. No TV, no screens. ah." But it's really hard now because I was 15 years ago. We didn't even have smartphones. And now there's smartphones, there's iPads. It's like, there's nowhere you can go where they're not there. So you really have to be deliberate parents if you're going to do this. But I also think that it's never too late. So if you feel like your child has gone down this road and they're getting too much screen time, you can start pulling back and you will see your child's imagination become revived because that happens to me sometimes too. Like in the summertime, they get a little too much and everybody's just like zombies on their devices. We pull it back and they go outside and play and they do other things. So it's, it's very interesting to see that. When it comes to habits overall, what do you think parents struggle with the most when they're trying to encourage healthy habits in their children? You know, I think that parents get defeated about things and, you know, um, 
when they when their kids push back. Like for example, healthy eating. You know, a lot of parents come in and they'll say like, well, you know, I try to feed vegetables to my family, and they just reject it. And you know, eventually over time, it kind of just wears on you to keep making food that no one eats. Mm-hmm. And so then they kind of give up sometimes. And okay, we're just gonna go fast food because that's just what I know my kids will eat that. And um, and I think that I would really encourage parents to just keep trying. And you know, sometimes it just takes baby steps to get there. And you know, I'll say like when I started trying to make the transition to the whole food plant-based diet in my family, um, I tried to do it to cold turkey in the beginning. And and I got a lot of resistance from some members of my family. Um, my some people in my family don't love beans. Like they really don't love beans. And so, you know, I think one time I served this lentil salad that was really just lentils and other stuff, but it was like the primary part was lentils. Oh, that that didn't go over well. <laughs> <laughs> So I pulled back some and um, so now I incorporate beans in a dish, but it's not the, it's not the main character. Mm-hmm. And so slowly, slowly starting to eat a bit more beans in our house. I know you guys, I know you love beans, <laughs> but so I'm, I'm still learning and still working on it. But, but yeah, it's, it's about, I think, taking baby steps and just keep pushing that needle over more and more. Exactly. But no, you're completely right. Because basically what you're telling me is that the familiarity wasn't there. The routine for that wasn't there. So if you do too much at once, people are definitely going to be like, ah, no, too much. Uh, and, and I feel like that's true for so many different things, you know? So mm-hmm. just taking it step by step. But I also, the other thing I tell families is you have to make it work for your lifestyle. We're all different families. Your family's different from my family. We have different routines. We have different values. So take this template and make it your own. And it's okay to try different things, trial and error experiment. Don't feel like you just have to do it this one way. And if it doesn't work, well, you can't do anything. It's okay to try different things and just keep experimenting. That's what I like to tell families, but that is very good advice. How do you think that parents can approach health and well-being in a more balanced and joyful way? Well, I think that, like I said before, you know, I think just taking baby steps and then just giving yourself some grace and, you know, it's it's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And, you know, why may might bring up these different ideas of ways that you can improve like your child's lifestyle and it can feel defeating to not be able to do all of these things. Like, I think, I think just having parental guilt is like such a big thing right now. And I think people feel guilty if they can't get things perfect. And it's not, it, I guess my point is that you can encourage your family to be, you know, healthy and have a good, healthy lifestyle, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be perfect. And I, again, any little step is still an accomplishment. Yes. Progress, not perfection. Yes. And I think something else that especially moms do, and I know just because I'm a mom, is that we project into the future. <laughs> and if we're not doing something right, we just automatically start thinking that our kids are going to be like, you know, like whatever. It's going to be like horrible in the future when really it's probably not that big of a deal. So I tell moms right. all the time, your kids are going to be fine. The main thing is just love them, do the best you can, keep learning keep making progress, but you're not ruining your kid's life. If you, if they still don't eat beans, you know, or they don't eat broccoli or, you know, you're still working on the sleep schedule. It's going to be okay because we just have this feeling like everything is going to fall apart. It's going to be a disaster. And we're like complete failures, (laughs) you know? So (laughs) I think when we let go of that pressure, it does make it more fun though. You know, when we let go of this need to be perfect, this need to have everything right, we can enjoy the journey more. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Totally agree with that. Yeah. What do you wish more people knew? Um, you know, I wish people knew that if you can get your kids in the kitchen with you to cook, like that is huge in getting them to be accepting of new foods and new flavors. And, you know, even if your child is a picky eater and they will not touch the thing that you've made together, at least they won't put it in their mouth, they've already touched it. They've already used three different senses with that food, touch, smell, right? And also um, looking at it, right? So there's three different senses that they use to introduce themselves to broccoli. Let's say they wouldn't put it in their mouth, but they've already done three things with it. And I think that they are more willing to try things that they've had a hand in making mm-hmm. than 
um, if you just present it to them and say, okay, eat this. Love it. Yeah. Get them in the kitchen, take them to the grocery store. Well, right now it's, that's a little bit tricky, but once we're right. past this COVID thing, you know, take them to the grocery store, help you pick out fruits and vegetables. So if you have your child participating in making the food with you, they are actively um, touching, feeling, smelling those foods, they're going to be more familiar with them. And like we said before, that familiarity is part of accepting the foods. So just keep doing it and keep putting them in there with you. So. That's great. What personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? So I am most proud of the fact that I have started exercising because of all the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, that is, that was my biggest struggle. Like I would not call myself an athletic person. I've never been into really sports myself. And, you know, my excuse before is like, there's not enough time. I don't have time. But, you know, the thing is, is that with anything in life, if it's a priority to you, you will make the time to do it. And so I think that I really started being able to pick up with exercising um, after we took the exam last year. And, um, you know, one of my coworkers, who's actually a lifestyle medicine physician as well, she started encouraging uh, me to like, hey, let's go take a walk at lunch, Mm -hmm. just 10 minutes. And she had figured out this whole route that was near my office that was exactly 10 minutes long. And you know, I could take 10 minutes. I was, you know, I usually work during my lunch break, but I could take 10 minutes to go walk. And then, and then it would grow to like, okay, let's take the stairs. I'm like, okay, let's take the stairs. And so then, you know, we need, we wanted to get like 150 minutes of exercise per week. And so these little blocks of time would add up. And then um, I think sometime last year as well, um, a friend told me about the Peloton app and Peloton digital. And, you know, I didn't have the bikes. So I had assumed, okay, I, I'm not going to do that because I don't have the bike. But then I thought you don't use the bike. Like there's so many other things on there to exercise. And I think with that also, it's really kept me accountable to doing something, you know, every day to get these little, I mean, it's kind of funny, but just little badges or like, oh, he works three days in a row. Yay. You know, and so that helps keep me regular. And so now I don't, I haven't really been counting the 150 hours a week or 150 minutes a week. So I think I actually am getting it just by the little things that I do. I love it. A fellow Pelomaniac. I am (laughs) addicted to Peloton. I love it. How did you feel integrating that lunchtime walk? Did you feel any different when you do that? Yes. You know, often, I don't know if you've experienced like after lunch, you get that like really that fatigue where you end up wanting to like snack. (laughs) At least I used to, or snack on something that's not healthy. Um, but I found that once I started exercising at lunch, I had more energy for the afternoon. I didn't really have that feeling anymore, like where I was so tired that I wanted to snack on something. Yeah, it's so refreshing. And I have a very short lunch time, but that's something that I would love to integrate into my day every day is just going for a walk after lunch and after dinner, because it is so reinvigorating. It actually gives you more energy. You feel more awake, you feel more alive, and it feels like you had a break because one thing when it comes to eating that I've realized for myself and for my clients and for other people is because eating is usually the only break we give ourselves. We tend to overeat because we want that break to last longer. (laughs) So the way that you make the break last longer is you keep eating, keep going for more food, keep eating. But if you're like, hey, no, I'm gonna get to go for a walk. It's gonna be beautiful outside. And I'm sure San Diego, so pleasant and so nice. That is just really nice to be able to have that in your middle middle of your day to recharge and keep going. So what a great habit you have. I love it. Well, and, you know, this, there's actually, okay. there's, there's um, studies that show that if you exercise, you start, you end up recruiting more parts of your brain, like after you've exercised. So like, especially for my teens who, you know, they have, I have so much homework, so much homework. I'm like, you know, just, you go home from school, exercise just for a little bit. And you'll actually be more effective when you're doing your, your studies afterwards. Yes. And it actually increases our creativity too. So for authors and writers and people that are doing creative work, doing some sort of exercise, getting that blood flow to the brain, it can be so beneficial. And if nothing else, it just feels so good. It's the way that I help myself feel good every day. It's what I call joyful movement. So I love that. Well, Dr. Chu, this has been so great. You are doing such 
a wonderful, wonderful service for your families, giving them so much information on lifestyle medicine, supporting them on this journey. I can tell that you're so compassionate and loving and supportive. So thank you for everything you do. Can you please tell us how my listeners can connect with you and what services you provide? So um, I am on Instagram and my handle is wellness pediatrician. Um, and then I just recently launched a website called wellnesspediatrician.com um, where I try to um, create a curated list of resources related to lifestyle medicine and pediatrics. Um, and, you know, my goal is to try to really empower parents and pediatricians to have the tools that they need to help their children, you know, move forward in this like healthy lifestyle journey. Um, so on my website, I have a contact form that you can reach me there as well. Awesome. Yes. And that's going to be such a great resource. It's such a beautiful website. So good job on that. And I'm so glad that you're putting that out there because I think, like I said before, the more of us doing this work, the better, because we can support families and help them on this journey and help these children live long, healthy, joyful lives. So thank you so much. Well, our last task is to give the listeners one call to action for the week. So can you leave my listeners with one thing that they can do this week to improve their lives? Cook with your kids for one meal, two days this week. Okay. That's a new one. Thank you. That was, that's going to be fun. So cook with your kids twice this week. So two different meals this week. All right. That'll be fun. Maybe I can, how can, what what if I just let my kids cook the meal for me? (laughs) That would be nice. That works too. Well, you know, if you cook enough times with your meals, or you cook with your kids enough times, they will start to learn how to do themselves. And some days surprise you in the morning, like, hey, mom, I just made your breakfast. And that's happened to me, which has been wonderful. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, I look forward to that time. Definitely my older one, he can make recipes on his own now. He's getting pretty good, but maybe I need to uh, nudge them into that. Hey. I'm cool if you guys surprise me every once in a while with a meal. So, all right, listeners, you have your task for the week. Get your kids in the kitchen. It's good for them. It's good for you. Good for the whole family. Well, Dr. Chu, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Keep up doing the great work. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thank you, Dr. Yami. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the Broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli.